I have OCD. And let me describe to you what that means. Um, OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. It's not a huge problem in my life, but um, if you come into my home in my life, you'll see that things are what I would call very structured. Caitlin and I don't have kids, so really things are however we want them to go in our lives in terms of the way that our schedule works. And when you throw off my schedule, I kind of get a little bit antsy and I don't like that. And if you look at my closet, this is the best way to see how I have OCD because each pair of shoes that I own is in a plastic clear tub from the container store and they are kind of like ordered by designer from low end to high end. High end's on the right, low end's on the low end is on the left. If you look at my clothes, you'll see that I have those ordered in kind of the same way. It's I have my blazers and I have them, you know, kind of uh, you know, listed for by designer or whatever brand they came from. And then the same thing is true with shirts, which I hang up. Those are the only things I hang up. I have them ordered by color and brand and designer and short sleeve and long sleeve. And my life, specifically with the example of my closet, is really the way that I do a lot of things in my life. It's very structured. It's very, this is the way that it is. The only thing in our life currently that can disrupt that is our dog. And she's an angel. She doesn't disrupt anything because we don't have kids yet. So therefore, things are kind of the way that I like them to go. Why do I tell you that? I tell you that because when we were home in Michigan over the holidays, we got to interact with some friends we hadn't seen in a while. In fact, their names are Paul and Stephanie, and Paul was my best friend for a long time and actually lived with him. He rented me a room right after we both graduated college. I rented a room from him. He ended up getting married, so did I. Kind of went on different paths in life. Not bad paths, just different paths. And we got to see them for the first time over the holidays in a long time. Let me tell you about... Paul and Stephanie in their life. They have four children under the age of seven. I don't know if you've ever been around four children under the age of seven, but allow me to describe to you what their home is like. They have Vinny, who's seven. They have Tessa, who's five. They have Macy, who's three. And they have Giuseppe, who is eight months old. And we wanted to go over there and hang out with them for a little while because we hadn't seen them in such a long time. By the time we were done, we were in their kitchen, by the time we were done hanging out with them, it literally looked like Japan in 1945. It looked like Hiroshima had happened in these people's kitchen. There was stuff everywhere. Allow me to describe to you what happens with four kids under the age of seven. And by the way, these are good kids. These are good parents. Like, it's just as what kids are like in general. So like, first of all, they had just gotten Christmas presents and they wanted to show us every Christmas present that they had. So they had their coloring books out. They had their crayons out. Tessa, the five-year-old, said to her dad, my buddy Paul, hey dad, can you give me some glue? So the dad reached for a glue-like container, like an Elmer's, and it was kind of like, like hard up at the top. There wasn't that much glue left. So she said, it didn't work. Give me a new one. So she got a new one from her dad and she had her art project out on the floor. And I kid you not, she took the glue and just started going like this all over her art project. And I'm going, this happens in homes? This is what goes on? And so he goes, yeah, that's just normal. Just let her be. So she started doing her art project. Meanwhile, Vinny, the seven-year-old, had went and got his little eight-month-old brother Giuseppe up from his nap and then was doing the wheelbarrow with him in the kitchen. You've seen this where the hands are on the ground and they pick the feet up and they're doing And I'm going, what is going on here? Right after that, Vinny put Giuseppe in his like high chair and went to go get his Nerf gun and started to shoot at the baby. And I'm, I'm not making this up. This is how crazy it was, right? 
Then Tessa, the five-year-old, see, they had gone, they had just come from the grocery store and they went to go get a chocolate smoothie before we got there. And when she came in, she had had her dress on and she was holding her chocolate smoothie. She had drank her chocolate smoothie, but there was just a little bit left. So she went over to the sink and her dad said, Tessa, what are you doing? And she said, I'm making chocolate water. So she was filling it up with water, right? So now she had a big glass of like a little chocolate smoothie filled with water. She took the chocolate smoothie, put it in two glasses, and gave one to her little, her little sister, Macy, so that they both could have chocolate water at the table. It was right around this time that the Easy Bake Oven came out. And they started to make things for us. And my buddy said to me, and I'll never forget it, he said, just a piece of advice, I wouldn't eat that, okay? And I said, okay. So this all went down, and then, this is the whole point of what I'm telling you this story for, then something happened, and I said to myself, I'm going to use this when I speak on this parable in January. What happened was, Vinny, the seven-year-old, went to Tessa, I'm sorry, went to Macy, the three-year-old, who had just been gifted the chocolate water from her sister, and he took the chocolate water away from her and started drinking it himself. And Macy kind of lost her mind. She was not happy that her brother had come over and taken her chocolate water. And the dad intervened, and this is why I'm telling you this story. He said to her at that point, Macy, life isn't fair. And it's better for you to learn it at three than any other time in your life. So Vinny kept drinking the chocolate water. And that stuck with me. Because it was such a profound truth that this dad told his three-year-old that life isn't fair and the earlier you learn it the better keep that in your mind as we move throughout this message because I'm going to reference it again now we are in the second week of a four-week series called storytelling and it's this idea that we're looking at four parables that Jesus taught over the next couple of weeks and we're gonna look at those profound truths in those parables that can greatly impact our life if we allow it to so I first want to talk about this word called stories Stories are really important. We talked about stories last week and how much they mean. And stories, which aren't just for kids, actually have the ability to change our lives if we let them. Stories give us a different perspective on things. In fact, if we didn't have stories, we would only have our own perspective to look at. Our life would be only influenced by us. So stories help us look at things in a different way because without stories you can't do a couple of things and I just want to go through them real quick but I believe it and I believe it's so true for us to understand why it's so important without stories you can't see past what you already know because the only thing in your life without the stories of other people and without the journeys of other people that you know is what you've experienced so without stories you can't see past what you already know without stories you can't care how someone else feels why because you don't know how someone else feels the only way that you will know how someone else feels is to hear about their journey and to look at what, what they've gone through. That's why stories are so important. And lastly, stories, without stories, you can't hope beyond your present situation. And a lot of us are in bad present situations and we want out. We want our future to be brighter than it is right now. We want things to be different. But without understanding the journey of other people and what they've gone through, we may never go beyond our present situation and experience hope. Why do I think stories are so important? Why do I think it's so important that we understand how important stories are? It's because Jesus used stories to teach. Jesus, the only human incarnation of God on this earth ever, used stories to teach people. 
It wasn't about an answer necessarily that was black and white all the time. In fact, he rarely gave answers. He told stories. And he told these things called parables. And parables are so important. That's what we're talking about throughout this series. And it's important for us because most people, even Christians who've been around a long time and have studied the ancient scriptures, most people confuse what parables are. Most people think that parables are true stories. Allow me to set that record straight. Parables are not true stories. They are fiction which Jesus told to prove a point or to teach a lesson and to give us information that we could unpack and kind of work through. And today's parable that we're going to look at is exciting. And it's not just exciting because it involves wine, right? It's not. It's, in fact, it's exciting because these people who participated in this learned so much and there's so much depth to what goes on in here so we're going to talk about the parable of the vineyard workers today if you have your scripture you can turn to the book of matthew chapter 20 we're going to kind of go line by line through this thing because it is so important to look at everything that this parable teaches us so without further ado it starts out and a lot of jesus's parables started out this way said, for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner. Ooh, let's stop there. I told you it was going to get a little deep and we were going to look at this thing line by line. For the kingdom of heaven, a lot of times when we hear the phrase heaven, we tend to think about the future tense when we die and go to be somewhere else. And yes, we believe that exists. But Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he said a couple of things. He said, it's already here, and it's not yet complete. He said, it's already here, but it's not yet what it's going to be. That's interesting, isn't it? We don't think of it like that, but that's why it's so important for us to understand that it's here and now, and it's in the future. Yes, it's today, and yes, it's tomorrow. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, and he talks about what it's like. He gives us these examples of what it's like so that we can understand what it will be like better and what it should be like better. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. It's important for us to understand this. He agreed to pay, what, the normal daily wage and then sent them out to work. Now, I want to tell you just a little bit about first century vineyards. They were very, very difficult to work in. I did some research on this. It was not Napa Valley with a glass of cab on your balcony. That's not what it was. First century vineyards were hard. It was difficult. It was very difficult to navigate through. It was not easy. First century vineyard work was not easy. And I believe that that's why Jesus used the vineyard example to be able to tell us more about what we should understand was very difficult work. It was very difficult to do this stuff. It was hot. Remember where these events would have taken place if they were real. They would have taken place in the Middle East. I don't know about you, but I have not seen a lot of people in the Middle East who look cool on the news, right? Like, they don't look like things are comfortable over there. It's hot. And imagine going out and working all day, dripping with sweat, having to do this in the beating sun. First century vineyard work was not easy. It was brutal. It's like construction work in Miami in July, right? It's just not fun out outdoors. Parable, though, goes on. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. 
whatever was what right at the end of the day. It goes on. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at 3 o'clock, he did what? He did the same thing. He needed more help, so he went out and got more workers. At 5 o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? What are you doing? Why are you just standing around? Here's what they said. No one has hired us. So the landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. So basically, this landowner has done whatever he wants to do with his own vineyard. Let's stop there. What can we learn from that? Because a lot of times people just go, okay, well, he hired people at different points in times during the day. What can we learn from this? Just this is the simple, simple thing I just want to tell you guys this morning. Here it is. There are people who are in charge of us, right? There are people who are in charge. Whether we like that or not, and it might drive us, drive us crazy from time to time, there are just people who are in charge. And you know what? You can be in charge if you want to. You have to figure out what you want to be in charge of. And maybe people are in charge because they've kind of inherited something, or maybe they've worked really, really hard, or have a really special skill. But at the end of the day, even if you're a teenager and you don't have a job yet, or that you can't relate to this scenario, there are just people in life who are in charge and can kind of map the road and do whatever they want to do. And like I said, if you don't like that, then you can be in charge if you want to. You just have to work your way up to it. But it's important for us to know that all of us have to report to somebody at some point. All of us in our lives will have to report or check in to someone, even if you're an adult or you're the head of your household. There's still someone in charge of you. You know why? Because the IRS exists. So it's just, it happens, right? We, so all of us have to report to somebody, and it's important for us to recognize there are people who are in charge. And if you don't like the people who are in charge of you in any kind of situation, you always have the opportunity or the choice to move on. But there are people who are in charge, and this landowner is in charge of his own vineyard. The parable goes on. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them. Here's where it starts to get good. Because for so long in this parable, he's just hired people. What does that mean? Now, we're going to find out. Beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to, get, came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. Now think about that. Doesn't that seem logical? I came to work earlier. I showed up and sweated all day long and busted my hump in this vineyard to pluck these grapes in the Middle East, and you're telling me that I'm going to get the same as this person? They assumed they would get more. Let's go on. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat? So basically, these people worked all day long, and they did not receive close to the same, or they received the same benefit as people who had only worked for one hour. Basically, the parable says they were hired at 5 o'clock, they were done working by 6 o'clock, and they all got the same amount of money. I don't know about you, but that would make me angry. Why? Not fair. It's not fair. I'm not given what I think I deserve. Let's go on. He answered one of them. This is the landowner. The landowner responded, friend. And I love that he says friend, right? Because it's building a relationship with these people. Going, I'm not trying to jip you here, but friend, 
I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. There's so much in there. It's not even done yet. It's going to go on. There's so much in there that we can unpack and kind of go through. But there's a couple of points I want to make based upon this parable that I think are just so important for us to understand. And here's the first one. And it's a tough one to stomach. It's not an easy one to stomach. You don't always get what you deserve. You don't always get what you deserve. Whether it's good or bad, you don't always get what you deserve. Meaning you might work your tail off as much as someone who doesn't put in as much effort as you, and you may not always get what you deserve. Furthermore, let me flip the lid on this, and this is kind of unrelated to the parable. Furthermore, you may do bad things in your life. You may do things in your life that no one knows about that you should have to pay the price for. And you don't always get what you deserve either. In fact, there may be things that you've done that are illegal, that you didn't get caught. Maybe you've done things to your family they don't know about. You didn't always get what you deserved. It's a two-headed coin. But you need to understand this, and it's not fun, because we think because we've done something or because we've put in our hours or because we've sacrificed that we should get what we deserve. It's not always true. My friend Paul told his daughter that, which is why I started out with that story. He told his daughter Macy one thing. He said, life isn't fair, and the earlier you learn that, the better off you will be. Life isn't fair, so stop thinking that it should be. Because here's the, here's the deal. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What is fair? Isn't fair just our opinion of the way that things should go? Isn't fair just our idea of the way that a chain of events should transpire? We think that this owner of this vineyard should pay these people more because they were here longer. Seems logical, but it's not fair. At least that's what they're saying. But he said, no, no, no. He said something coming up that I just want you to zone in with and look at because it just flips the lid on this. Because here's the other thing. When we think that life isn't fair, a lot of times we only think that life isn't fair because we're reveling in our own opinion. We don't know those people who got hired at 5 o'clock and what they might have been going through. And maybe it was a rough time and they needed the money way more than you needed the money. We don't know their situation. But the owner goes on and responds. This is what he said. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? And again, the lid is flipped on everything. Because it's all about me. It's all about us. It's all about what I want. I think things are fair or should be fair. But... What if I'm just being kind to other people? And then Jesus said something that revolutionizes everything. If we get this right, everything is different. Everything in our city changes. Everything in our community changes. Everything in our family changes. Everything in our lives changes. It changes everything. Here's what he said. So those who are last will now be first then. And those who are first will be last. What is... What does that mean? I mean, you want to talk about profound. You want to talk about revolutionary. You want to talk about life-changing. What does that mean? And he said this in response to the people who were complaining about their wage, that they should have been paid more. What would your life look like if you signed up to be last and that really made you first? 
There's a couple of things that I want to just review with you today about this. But there's one point that I want to make more than anything else that you get today. You get this, this will change things. If you want to be first, be last. If you want to be first, be last. How do you do that? What does that look like on a week-in, week-out basis? How do we put ourselves last? What does that look like in our life, and why would we do that specifically related to culture, which tells us the only thing that we should do is be first? That's why Jesus said it, because it was so revolutionary. It transformed everything. Here's the first thing that I think you can do. You can serve others. Number one, if you want to live your life in a way that puts you last, and you'll actually be first, you'll serve others. That just doesn't mean volunteering or giving back to your community, even though we think that's so important that you should sign up to volunteer and to serve not only with our church, but with other community events, and you should give back to people who are in need, and you should give back to those around you. But we think in any arena that you're at, your job, your family, what would happen if you just said, I am here for one reason, to serve? To serve others, just like Jesus did. Don't let yourself be a doormat. But what if you're just here to serve others? Serving others doesn't mean that you have to be. If you want to be last and actually become first, you want to serve others, and you want to make life not about you. Make life not about you. And that is so hard. That is so difficult because all we need to do in life, all we've been told that we need to do is do more for ourselves, do better for ourselves, do better for our own families. And we should do that because taking care of your family is important. But what if we just said, just want to make life not about us every now and then. Make life about others. Here's another one. Give. What would it look like if you gave to other people? People in need. There's so I mean, guys... Very real. Do you guys know how much we have? We have so much if you've ever been to other parts of the world. So much. I had a chance to go to Bulgaria a couple of years ago, and Bulgaria is a place that kind of fell out of communism uh, a number of years ago, and they're still recovering, and I'm just going, my gosh, we are so blessed. We have so much. If you want to be first and actually put yourself last, you want to give. And here's the last thing that we just want to tell you to do, and it's this. Don't look around. And a lot of times when we say, don't look around, people think we're meaning that, okay, well, I just want more stuff or a better car or a better house or whatever that is. It's not all of it. It's not what it's all about. A lot of times we look around and are jealous of someone else's life, their family, the peace that they have. We think that, they have it more together than we do. And that was what the people who worked in the vineyard, their main problem was. They just started looking around. They didn't look what they had anymore. They looked at the other person and all of a sudden started to think about what they didn't have. They just did this. And they said, that's not fair. Well, fair is just your opinion of the way that things should go. And they didn't think about what they were going to do with what they've been given or what they worked for. And a lot of times in our lives, we forget about the things that we have. We forget the people in our lives who mean so much. We forget how blessed we are to have food each day and to get up and to be in a home with our family because what we want to do is just start looking around. And that's really what they did. 
And that's why Jesus told that story, because he said, no, no, no. Don't look around. If you want to be first, be last. Give of yourself. Serve other people. Make life not about you. Don't look at what other people have. Here's something that I truly believe with all my heart. If you evaluate your own life based on what others have, you will never be happy. I've never met one scenario where it worked. Not one. Where someone said, I'm going to allow my self-worth to be wrapped up in what other people have. Emotionally, physically, you can't live there. You can't be wrapped up there. Work hard. Love your family. Give back to your community. Love your neighbor as yourself. Over and over and over again, stop looking around. It will ruin you. When you evaluate your own life based on what others have, you will never be happy. And I got to tell you something. The family that I told you about at the beginning of the message, Paul, the dad, did say to Macy, the three-year-old, life isn't fair, and it isn't. But I'll tell you something. As crazy as that environment was, and as stressed out as I may have been in a moment when the glue sticks came out, right? Those people are a family that doesn't look around, and they love every moment that they have. And it didn't matter to them that there was stuff everywhere. They said, it doesn't matter. We know this is the way that it is, and we love it. We're not looking at anybody else. Don't look around. You'll never be happy. And we think you should be happy. I want to be happy. See, when we let these parables that Jesus told kind of permeate our heart and life, we'll be changed forever. That's why he told them. And that's why we take them so seriously. Let me pray for us. God, thanks so much for who you are and what you do and the stories that you told the stories that are so impactful and so meaningful can change our lives if we let them. So we just tell you today, we want you to work through us and allow them to change us. We don't want to look around at others. We don't want to look at what other people have. We want to be thankful for what we do have. That we can celebrate our lives and our families and our communities here together. We love you. And we thank you. We give you so much praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.